Thank you, Jade. It's hard to pick up what all that's about just from a quick reading, isn't it? So hopefully we're going to unpack some of that because there's, a, I believe, a powerful, not a particularly always pleasant message, but an important message there for us. So let's ask God to help us as we come to his word. Father God, we do ask that you would open up your word by the power of your spirit, not so that we can just understand what Mike has written, but that we might understand what you're saying to our heart by the power of your spirit and that we might repent and change and follow you in all truth. So we ask this, you do this this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you ever have that? I'm sure you've had that experience where you, you, you know something. I know that I know something. But then you discover that actually you, you, you knew before it was true, but now you know so much more, even though it's a very simple thing. I've had that experience a little bit this year as we've been doing as we've had our theme for our church of walk humbly with your God. So we had a series of talks on humility, some of which I gave. Then Johnny's been teaching us from Luke, and as soon as you look at Jesus, you look at a humble man teaching us to be humble. We did two talks on the Psalms, on humble Psalms, and I have found that God has been speaking to me to, about the priority of humility so much more than I... I knew it was important before. I knew... Being humble was important, but it's all through the scriptures. It's foundational to the Christian life, and I've just been seeing opportunities in my own life to say, I need to be humble here. So I've been knowing more than I've known through this series. I hope that's been true, at least in part, for you. We now start, as Johnny said earlier, a series on the book of Micah, based upon Micah 6, 8. We, we, when we, we're going to Micah because of our church theme, Micah 6, 8, he has shown you our man or human beings, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you to do justice and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. That's our church theme, to walk humbly with our God. But the problem is in doing a series on Micah, it's actually not so much about humility. It's really more about justice. And so the title for our series is Seeking Justice. And Micah, I hope you will find, has got a powerful message for us because justice is a powerful topic. It's such an instinctive, basic human desire to want justice because inside of us we know that it's not just meaningless, this world, that there is a right and a wrong that are absolute. And, and when we are wronged or when we see others grossly wronged, something burns. This should not be. And we want justice, but justice is never, in our world, easy. Life is complex. He said, she said, they said, you said. Where's the truth? And so we have this hugely costly legal system where people get to pursue justice. And we have courts and we have judges and we have huge acts of parliament setting big long pieces of legislation and it is always after all that effort fallible at best and at worst it's grossly corrupted. So that seeking justice becomes a way of enforcing injustice.
an injustice, as I saw in Central Asia, and you'll, as you'll see in many parts of the world, you'll see it here in Australia, injustice destroys a society. It, it robs from people. So where can you find justice in such a complex world? Micah points the way. And here's the thing, it might be a hard road, this pursuit of justice. It probably will be a hard road. Because injustice, and here's the link to humility, injustice is always the result of pride. It's with people who say, I'm the most important. It's all about me first, and I don't care if it comes to me at the expense of others. It's pride. And there is no justice without humility. Because you need to submit to laws, you need to submit to society, you need to submit to a legal system. Ultimately, you need to submit to God, who is the one who determines what is right and what is wrong. Because if there is no God, there is no right and there is no wrong. There just is. And God alone sees all. He said, she said, God knows. And God alone can set things right. And God, the God of the Bible, has promised that he will set things right and that he will bring justice. And Micah tells us this, that God alone is our hope for justice and he has promised to bring justice in our world. We're going to start with this book by firstly locating Micah. It's usually you have to do this in the Bible, particularly in the Old Testament and the Prophets. What is Micah in terms of what's his role, what's his time, and what's his place? And it's all there in verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Micah of Moresheth during the reigns of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. The vision he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. Micah's role, he is a prophet. He speaks the words of the Lord. He's seen these things like in a vision and he speaks them. His time, he is prophesying during the reign of three kings of Judah. Jotham, Ahaz and Hezekiah. He is speaking into a historical context. Place, he is Micah of Moresheth, which is a town about 30 to 40 kilometres southwest of Jerusalem in what they call the Shepelah, a fertile agricultural area. Time, place, role. But let's expand that into some greater historical, political context. I've got a map up there. Where's my glasses? I left them. doesn't matter. I can't read the map, but you can. see that. You can see the pink and the yellow. After King David and King Solomon, there was a rebellion. There was a rebellion in the nation. Thanks, Vic. I don't know if it's going to help. It's a bit small. The words are a bit small, but I'm not expecting you to see the words. Just look at the pink and the yellow. That's Israel. After the reign of King David and Solomon, there was a rebellion. And the regions north, the tribes north in Israel, broke off and said, we can run ourselves. We don't need your king, the son of David, to rule over us. And they broke away. The northern kingdoms came to be called Israel, or Jacob, or Ephraim sometimes. They set up their own 
temple in the city of Samaria. They set up their own kings and the kings kept killing one another off. And the kings were almost exclusively wicked men who led people away from the Lord. In the south, well, that was called Judah. That was where the city of Jerusalem was. The kings down there were always from the promised line of King David. There we had God's promises stand firm. And the kings down there, well, there were a lot of bad ones, but there were the occasional good one and some particularly good kings who followed, sought to follow the law. The Lord. Micah is a prophet from the south, from Judah, outside of Jerusalem. He comes from, he's probably speaking in Jerusalem, the city itself. Now he's down there during the reign of three kings of the south. Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah. It's 740 to 790 BC. Not that the numbers mean much. Just prior to this time, there was a king in the south, Uzziah, who reigned for about 50 or 60, a long time. There was another king in the north, Jeroboam II, who also reigned for a relatively wealthy. It was a time of incredible prosperity for these two nations. They Participate, they, they, they worked together and they expanded their kingdoms. It was a time of great material prosperity and building. But as the rich got richer, you know the story, the poor got poorer. People got more and more power and they abused their power. After Uzziah and Jeroboam, things got tougher because there was this nation to the north called Assyria. They were brutal empire builders who conquered and destroyed Assyria got more and more powerful and these nations with the kings that followed had to sort of deal with Assyria and make deals with Assyria and try and think until in 722 BC the, kings of the king of the north said I've had enough and he rebelled against Assyria. The Assyrians came down and totally smashed the northern kingdom. They destroyed Samaria, turned it into a heap of rubble and from that point on, that northern kingdom, the pink, did not exist any longer. Down south in Judah, well, they were busy trying to make deals here, there and everywhere, including with the Assyrians. And so they enjoyed a few years' peace until in 701 BC, the Assyrians said, we're going to smash the south as well. And they came down and they attacked from the southwest and laid siege to the city of Jerusalem where Hezekiah was king, all the way up to the city gate. But God worked a mighty miracle. The king sought the Lord. The king repented and said, Lord, we need your help. And one night, the Lord sent a plague through the army of the Assyrians and they just left. And even the Assyrians, reckon, well, they record in their own histories that they went up to Jerusalem, but there's no report of ever overthrowing Jerusalem. 701 BC. This is the time that... It, Micah is writing into over these three kings, from Jotham to Hezekiah, including the time when Samaria was smashed by the Assyrians. So you can see it's a time of political fear and change and declining grandeur as the powerful hold on to their power. It was a time of declining religious and social standards. There was a great deal of injustice and idolatry in both lands. So 
Micah says into this context, Hear you peoples, all you listen. All of you, listen, earth, and all who live in it. This is a message for everyone. This is a message for us. That the sovereign Lord may bear witness against you, the Lord from his holy temple. God's got something to say into this context. Now, let me tell you about the names of God. I looked up on the internet some of the names of God. I don't know if you'll be able to read any of these, but you've got some names. El Shaddai, the Lord God Almighty. El Elyon, the Lord God Most High. Adonai. Lord, Master, all these Hebrew words that people love to use, Jehovah Jireh, or more properly Yahweh Yireh, the Lord provides or the Lord sees. There's one of them. Um, Jehovah Shalom, Yahweh Shalom, the Lord is peace. All these beautiful names of God. I looked on the internet, I looked at all the names of God, and they never include one that I think is really important. You never see Shufate Kal Haaret. Shufet kol haaretz. Genesis 18.25. Moses is speaking to the Lord and he says, Will not the judge of all the earth do right? There's a name for God. He is the judge of all the earth. That's a bit more fearful than God Almighty or the Lord of peace, isn't it? The judge of all the earth. See, judges weigh justice. In fact, all of our symbols about judges suggest a sense of them being set apart, holy, and fearful. They wear funny wigs. They wear these flowing robes. They sit in the high and exalted place all by themselves with a big hammer, or a little wooden hammer, but it's important. When the U.S. Supreme Court sits, every day there is a little ceremony at the start as the chief justice, the justices come in and take their seats for the court. The marshal makes everyone stand, bangs his gavel three times and says, The Honourable, the Chief Justice and the Associate Justice of the Supreme Courts of the United States, oh yes, oh yes, oh yes. All persons having business before the Honourable Supreme Court of the United States are admonished to draw near and give their attention for the court is now sitting. God save the United States and this Honourable Court with an American accent. But it's a lot of rigmarole and song and dance because these guys, we've got to fear them. We've got to honour them. This is a big deal. They have power. They weigh justice. How much more for God? And what if God was to draw near the judge of all the earth? What if he should come down out of his high, exalted and holy, set-apart place in all of his power? What if the judge should come down because he has had enough? He is going to execute justice and bring judgment. Verse 3, look, says, writes Micah, the Lord is coming from his dwelling place, I think more properly standing place. He comes down and treads on the heights of the earth. The mountains melt beneath him and the valleys split apart 
like wax before the fire, like water rushing down a slope. Here comes the judge from his standing place, from his exalted place, down into the crime scene. Amongst the accused. Well, that's fearful. He's a judge. But it's, it's worse than that. He comes as witness as well because he sees all. And it's worse than that. He comes not just as judge and witness, but he's the offended party. The crime has ultimately been committed against himself. But it's worse than that. Not just the offended party, he is also not just judge and witness and offended party, he is also executioner. He is the one that will execute justice. Pronounce the sentence and see the sentence fulfilled. And what is the offence? Well, verse 5. All this is because of Jacob's transgression. Because of the sins of the people of Israel. What is Jacob's transgression? Is it not Samaria, the capital of the north? What is Judah's high place? Is it not Jerusalem, the capital of the south? You see, the primary offense here is what we call sin. Transgression. Rejecting God. Going our own way. And you see it here flowing from the capital cities of these two nations, where the kings reign, where the powerful live, where the religious elite practice their religion. Micah has, with good reason, often been called the prophet of social justice. Or social injustice, speaking against social injustice. He's the prophet of the poor and the vulnerable. But you see, this sort of injustice is always an overflow of what is in the heart. It's an outworking of corruption within. Oppression and injustice is simply symptoms of a deeper spiritual malaise. At root it is sin, at root it is rejecting God and his sovereign rule and his law and his determination of right and wrong. And it gets expressed in worshipping false gods and living for false gods, idols. This, this basic offence is one that we all share in. It starts with pride. I can go my way. I can decide. I am at the center. It leads to rebellion. Rack off, God. Get out of here. I'm doing things the way I want for me. And others can come second. God's verdict here on Judah, on Samaria, is guilty. You are guilty of these transgressions. And so he pronounced a sentence first on Samaria, the northern kingdom, who have, let's face it, a long history of rebellion, a long history of idolatry, a long history of going their own way, turning aside from God's promises which were in Jerusalem with the descendants of David, and worshipping false gods. 
So this, the judgment, the sentence is severe. They will cease to exist. Therefore I will make Samaria a heap of rubble, a place for planting vineyards. I will pour her stones into the valley and lay bare her foundations. All her idols will be broken to pieces. All her temple gifts will be burned with fire. Micah says, if you're like in Sydney, Town Hall is going to become a cow paddock. Samaria, with all your wonderful buildings, is going to be nothing. It's going to be vineyard plants. Vineyard. And so what happened is Assyria came down and smashed the city and completely destroyed it. That was the end of the northern kingdom. And it was a cleansing judgment because there'd been enough second chances. And God says, no more. All her idols will be broken to pieces. All her temple gifts will be burned with fire. I will destroy all her images. Since she gathered her gifts from the wages of prostitutes, as the wages of prostitutes, they will again be burned. See, the, the root problem is, again, they're worshipping created things rather than the creator. The root problem is idolatry. And they've desecrated the worship of the Lord. You know, in the north, they still talked about Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The God of Israel, they were called Israel. But they mixed it with the worship of other gods. And they mixed their worship with cultic practices from the nations around them. They sacrificed their children in the fire to appease the gods. They prostituted themselves to these idols and quite likely had temple prostitution in the temple in Samaria. Through which they then built their temple from the funds that came in from that prostitution. And Micah says... It's all going away. Assyria is going to take it into their temples and it'll still be used as the wages for prostitutes, but not in Samaria. I have had enough. Judgment is coming. So we cannot, you cannot pretend to keep the Lord God Almighty, Yahweh of Israel, happy with your religion, whilst you engage in prostitution in your false temple. Yahweh, the Lord, I am who I am, is coming down from his standing place as judge of all the earth, and he is coming against such rebellion and such folly. Now those in the south, down in Judah... They may have heard Micah at this stage and be nodding their heads. Preach it, brother. Finally, there's too much idolatry up there in Samaria. They're rebels. They have been from the beginning. They deserve it. They have these wicked kings who have never cooperated with us as much as they should, but not here, not in Jerusalem. You see, our kings come from the line of David, as God promised. They are the anointed ones. And we have the temple that Solomon built, that God came and his presence filled the temple. 
And this is Jerusalem, the city that the Lord delights in. Inviolable. We shall never fall. We are the people of God. We have the promises of God. And they could be standing there smugly listening to Micah denounce the sentence on the northern kingdom. Now, Micah is from the south, as you know. He's from Judah. Does Micah share in such thoughts? Well, here's how Micah responds to his own personal message. He says, having just denounced Samaria and pronounced judgment, he says, because of this, I will weep and I will wail. I get no pleasure out of this. I will go about barefoot and naked. I will howl like a jackal. And I will moan like an owl. For Samaria's plague is incurable. And it has spread to Judah. It has reached the very gate of my people, even to Jerusalem itself. Same sin, same plague now in my city, in Jerusalem. And it's true, the second of those three kings, Ahaz. He was the king when Samaria fell in Jerusalem. He too sacrificed his son in the fire to appease the foreign gods. He set up a pagan altar in the midst of God's temple in Jerusalem. He worshipped idols. He sacrificed on the high place. He, we are told in one king, two kings, shared in the same sins as the kings of Israel. The sins of Samaria had come to the very gate of Jerusalem. And so the plague, the judgment on Samaria, would also come to the gate of Jerusalem. As it did in 701 B.C., during the reign of King Hezekiah, when the Assyrians came up to the gate of Jerusalem. We, who call ourselves the people of God, cannot repeat and copy the sins of a world in rebellion against this God. When we do it as an offence to God... When we do such things, we ignore the judge of all the earth. We treat him lightly despite his glory and power. When we sit with smug self-assurance and carry on in our sin. So Micah announces a sentence on Judah. He starts with the towns of Shepelah. Now this is a bit of a zoom in. Now you may not be able to read the words again. But if we look down here in the orange, all these towns over here southwest of Jerusalem, these are all mentioned. Micah's own town is there in this fertile Shepelah region. This is the area when the Assyrians came through, they came down the coast and they came up from the southwest towards Jerusalem. So Micah prophesies what is going to happen as God acts against this offence. In Jerusalem. He starts with Gath, which was a Philistine city where David had strife. Tell it not in Gath, 
Weep not at all in Beth Ophrah, roll in the dust, pass by naked and in shame, you who live in Shaphir. Those who live in Zainan will not come out. Beth Essel is in mourning, it no longer protects you. Those who live in Maroth writhe in pain, waiting for relief, because disaster has come from the Lord, from Yahweh, even to the gate of Jerusalem. 701 BC, all those towns. What Micah says there, it's hard to read all that, but it's basically just a series of word plays on town names. Let's make this Sydney. Dubbo will be done over. Orange will be squashed. Bathurst will be battered down. Mudgy will be left in the mud its wine will be used as toasts for the wakes. Lithgow will be let down, drop far down the bottom of the mine shaft. The Lord is coming. The judge is coming. Verse 15, I will bring a conqueror against you who live in Marisheth. The nobles of Israel will flee to Adullam. Shave your head in mourning for the children in whom you delight. Make yourself as bald as a vulture, for they will go from you into exile. You see, in the book of Deuteronomy and in the book of Leviticus, the books of Moses, the people of God are warned, if you turn away from the Lord, though you are my treasured possession, if you turn away and you follow other gods, you will be sent from the land into exile. The Assyrians came in 701 BC. They laid siege to Jerusalem and then the Lord acted because Hezekiah sought the Lord and repented. But the nation kept in its sin and about 150 years later, the Assyrians are no more. The Babylonians are now the empire. They came down and God enacted justice on Jerusalem and smashed Jerusalem and the people were taken in exile. <laughs> you see, God is judge of all the earth and sin matters. The sin of the people of God matters. You don't mess with this judge. You don't sit there with some smug self-assurance or smug assurance while you continue to follow the pattern of those who rebel against God. And here is where I think chapter 1 of Micah hits the bites the dust for us, or hits, gets to our heart. What is your relationship with God the judge like? How do you respond to his righteous requirements, his law, if you like? He is judge of all the earth. He is not to be taken lightly. All those names we might rejoice in about the nature of God, Yes, you know what? The God of creation is your heavenly Father. And He is Jehovah Jireh, Yahweh Yireh, our provider. It's true. And He is God Almighty, mighty to save. And Jesus is our Savior and friend. He is the Good Shepherd. Oh, what a beautiful name. The name above all names, the name of Jesus. Yes, it's true. 
But do not forget that this same Jesus is judge of all the earth. John 5.22, Jesus says the Father has entrusted judgment to the Son. 2 Corinthians 5.10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That each one may receive what is due to them for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Jesus is holy and exalted. He is King of kings. He is Lord of lords. And he is coming in power to judge the living and the dead, as the Apostle Creed says. He is coming to execute justice. He is coming to right wrongs. He is coming to restore and remake creation and clean the slate and bring justice for all the wicked injustices of our world. Jesus is coming to fix it up. But, but, but you may say, but I am saved by grace through faith. You know, you're only ever saved by grace through faith. That's true. It's not your own work. You can't save yourself. And Jesus said, don't, didn't he say, none shall snatch them out of my hand. When my people are with me, they're secure. Yes. And yes, our sins are forgiven. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me white as snow? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Cleansed, purified, forgiven. Yes, you can be adopted into a God's family. You can be his son and his daughter. Yes. And when you're in his family, you're in his family and he loves you and you're secure. Yes. Yes, Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. Yes, yes, we have a sure and certain hope secured by God. These are sure and certain promises, but do not claim these promises if you disdain the righteousness and the glory of God. If you sit with smug self-assurance saying, I'm a believer, I am secure, and then give your heart and your devotion to the things of this world and worship and serve them rather than giving your heart and devotion to the God who made you. Do not claim these promises if you continue to stand on your pride and practice injustice and put yourself first and forgetting the rest. Humility matters. The false assurance that Jerusalem may have had runs throughout Scripture. You don't just see it here in Micah. It's all through the New Testament. Jesus said in Matthew 7.21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Jesus told a parable about sheep and goats. The goats, when I was in prison, you did not come to me. You did not feed me. You didn't look after me, away from me. 
They are in the same flock as the sheep who did comfort me and feed me and give me something to drink. Jesus says you will know a tree by its fruit. Bad fruit, bad tree for judgment, for destruction. 1 John, beautiful passage, chapter, beautiful 1 John, love 1 John. John says this in chapter 1, this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. Now, John's not saying you can save yourself by your work because he goes on, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Do you see there that juxtaposition of don't mess with God? If you're walking in the darkness, don't presume you're in the light. But if you trust in Jesus and walk in the light, you're cleansed, you're holy, you're pure. James says, faith without works is dead. He says, well, even the demons believe and tremble. James 4, last one. 4 to 10. You adulterous people, writes James, you prostituting people, maybe, who give your devotion to others. You adulterous people. Don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the Spirit? He is caused to dwell in us? It matters to God where our devotion lies. But he gives us more grace. It's a wonderful message, this. He gives us more grace. That is why Scripture says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Do you see this intersection of humility with justice and righteousness? Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he, the judge of all the earth, will come near to you. Wash your hearts, you sinners, and your hands, you sinners, and purify your minds, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself before the Lord, and he will lift you up. God has come as judge. He's come down. The wonderful thing about our God is that he's borne his wrath upon himself in his son, Jesus. Sin matters. Our pride matters. And Jesus has paid the price to redeem us. And through Jesus, as we come to him in humble submission, 
then we can claim the promises. If we come to him in humble submission as Lord, as the law setter, as the master we must follow, then we claim the promises. And as we live under his rule, then we stand assured in the promises. And he transforms us by his grace and his spirit. See, the judge has come. He's coming back to fix up the world, but he's come for you now. And will we, will you, will I, in humility, put aside my self-assurance and my compromise and ask him to change me that I might walk in his ways and lead a life of justice and truth. Let me pray. Father, save us from a smug, proud self-assurance that thinks we're, we're okay without Jesus as Lord. Lead us to the cross. Lead us to repentance and faith that we might serve you in all justice and peace and truth. We ask through the power of our Saviour. Amen.